We're in the middle, uh, well, I would say the middle, but it's actually the front end of the series on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We're seeing the invitation to come follow me from Jesus. We're about five weeks into this sermon series. Um, If you're new and you want to listen to some of the older sermons to catch up, they are on our website. We would definitely invite you to check those out. Uh, And uh, today we're going to find ourselves in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13 is where we're going to be picking up. If you have your Bibles with you, you're welcome to obviously follow along in those. Uh, But if not, we'll have the words up here on the screen. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, back in the back at our Grab a Bible table, uh, we have copies of God's Word that we would love to extend an invitation for you to grab one of those. And uh, and you can keep that and start taking notes in it, put your name in there, and bring it each week. Uh, We really believe it's important to have... God's word in everyone's hands. Okay, so I will start reading here in verse 13. You can follow along with me. It says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Mark's gospel is an action-packed one. We've talked about that. That he likes to just go from one situation to the next. There's not a lot of words. He keeps it short. He pops from one thing to another. And so here we, we, we see that, that it's written in that way to keep it shorter, get a lot of things in. Every, every word is so important to him. But it's de- definitely pointing us towards something. And, and we believe that's the action of Jesus' ministry. It, uh, the, the, the word immediately shows up a lot in this, in this book. It's, this is what Jesus did, and then this is what he, and then immediately he did this, and, and it's just like pop, pop, pop. And, and, and we want to make sure that we're focusing on each one of these events and seeing the importance of each one and not, you know, going through too quickly. He doesn't simply pen a collection of all the teachings of Jesus, right? It it paints him as a preacher with a plan. He was in ministry to people and for people. He didn't sit around taking calls, but, but he went out and he made calls, right? He was on the move. The gospel is not something merely spoken, but it's lived. And that should be the same in yours and my life. We need to be ready The Bible says, with the word, in other words, ready to share the gospel, but we need to be living it on a daily basis. And that's what we see here in the incarnation, what we're going to celebrate this month, the coming of Jesus, Jesus leaving heaven and coming to this earth, the incarnation, literally translated enfleshment, God taking on man, right? God in the flesh amongst his creation, Jesus was here for a purpose. He went forward with that purpose. He had the words, but he also went along with action. Action that grabbed people's attention and caused them to listen. I feel like that alone we could talk about for this entire sermon uh, today because it's so important for me to live that way. For me to encourage you to live that way. The words that changed your life, right? You need to live in a way that shows people that you are changed. And that's what Jesus was here for. 
Here it says, as he, or as he went from one place to another on his mission, it says, as he passed by, we see he's moving along. He's, he saw Levi. And that's where we're going to camp just for a second. I, I don't think that this phrase that he saw Levi was just flippantly put in there. Sure, he physically saw Levi, right? He was Levi's creator, and he truly saw him in more depth than just seeing somebody physically. He knew Levi for who he was and for who he was called to be. And believe me when I tell you this, he sees you today. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have your testimony, you have your your story of how you were introduced to Jesus Christ. The idea that you were a savior and you needed a savior and and you prayed and, and repented from your sins and you asked Jesus to come into your life, into your heart. And now you're living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus knows you. He sees you. And you may be sitting out there thinking, man, That I understand, I know that, but when I think about it, that's scary. But let me assure you, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what trips you up on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis, when your your anger fuse is short or, or whatever it might be, Jesus loves you. He loved you enough to go to the cross for you. And he wants to see you grow, but his love for you is not dependent on that growth. And that's so important to know that you today sitting there, no matter what's going on in your life, where you're at on this path of discipleship, Jesus loves you and he loved Levi. So let's, let's think about that as we, as we move forward in this section, right? Because Levi, the son of Alphaeus, AKA Matthew, okay, this is Matthew, Matthew, the publican, right? He is a tax collector. Look what it says there. He's sitting at a tax booth, right? Now, we know that all men are sinners. We preach on that, right? All have sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. We all need a Savior. But sometimes in our minds, we think some sin is worse than others. It appears to be worse than others. It's, it's grosser in our mind. Uh, it's more heinous, right? Well, Levi was a sinner. He was a special kind of sinner. The tax collector was a Jew employed by Rome. Yes, Rome, the oppressive occupiers, the one who was crushing, right, the children of Israel under their thumb. They they demanded taxation... They had created this empire that was unstoppable because they took a little bit from everybody that, they, that they, were, uh, they were captive. I mean, they would come and they would take this taxation, but they needed people to do that. And they didn't want to waste their own soldiers. So they would find men like Levi and say, hey, we want you to work for us. They would charge these exorbitant amounts to the masses. They could charge whatever they wanted. Rome would come out and say, I want X amount, of, uh, uh, X amount of money for each person in this town. And whatever Levi could get in addition to that was what he lined his pockets with. 
Now imagine that. Being a Jew and seeing a Jew working for the enemy. This was a special kind of sinner. That's what Levi would have been. And and the people that were with Jesus, even though they were hearing the good news, they were hearing the word, they still would have felt that way. Jesus saw him. Jesus saw a sinner in need of salvation. A man lost in his own depravity, but not worthless, not hopeless. Doesn't that give you hope today? Amen, yes. That gives me hope, right? Jesus knows all those, those, those things that you have done. No matter how heinous you might think they are, no matter how gross they were, and, and maybe even still are, Jesus knows, and he wants a better life for you. He doesn't say, oh, that's, that's too much for me, and turn his back on you. No, he loves you, and he wants you to find freedom from that. And, and that's what he saw when he looked at Levi. He knew all he had thought. He knew all he had done, right? He knew what a traitor he was to his people, and yet he calls him anyway. He calls you, even though he knows what you have done, what you have thought, what you have said. And he calls you from a life of sin to usefulness in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God had come. Remember, we talked about it. Jesus came to earth. That was the the incarnation. That was Jesus, the kingdom, the word coming here in flesh. And here we see what happened when Levi received the call. Much like you and I, living in our sin before we met Jesus, even if we were young, right? We had done a lot of things that were crazy. A lot of things that were sinful showed the rebellion that's in each one of our hearts. And yet when we found Jesus Christ, we rose and we followed him. And it doesn't matter how far down that path of discipleship, of following you are, where you're at, or how long you've been there. He still loves you. So even if it's been years and years and years and yet you feel like you've gotten nowhere, it's not too late. And that does not diminish the love of your Savior. Follow is a load-bearing term that describes the proper response of faith and is indeed practically, uh, practically synonymous with faith. If you place your faith in Christ, you need to follow him. Following is an act that involves risk and cost. Levi was probably pretty wealthy. Even though he was hated, and even though his friend circle might have been small, I bet they enjoyed themselves. So there was a risk, there was a cost for him. It is something one does, not simply one thinks or believes. Faith is an action. It is an action. Levi answers the call and joins not only the family of God, but he joins the mission. He becomes one of Jesus' disciples. Now remember, all these Jews that had seen him, all these Jews that had emptied their pockets to Levi were now going to see him as one of Jesus' closest 12. Again, Mark writes these things for a reason. Let's continue on. Verse 15. 
And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. It seems that Levi here is so excited about his new life and calling on his life that he hosts a banquet at his house in Jesus' honor, right? And the guest list was quite scandalous. Look what it says there. Sinners and tax collectors and disciples. And I think Mark wrote this in such a way, very uh, particular with the words he chooses. That was the way the perception of these disciples had gone. Because these guys were following Jesus and his way that was challenging the religious system of that day. Now, Thanksgiving was just this week, and, and a lot of us invited people into our homes, right? And we reclined at table. It's, I'm not missing a word. That's the way it's written there, right? We, we sat down at our table, and we ate. But I'm guessing not a lot of us, no matter what we think of that Aunt Betsy or, or, or the, the second cousin once removed that might have shown up, no matter what we might think, it wasn't as scandalous as this group that was eating with Jesus, Okay? The way the Greek was, uh, is written is intentional, but we might miss it in the English. There's this chiastic structure, which sadly today we don't have time to go into, but we'll do it another time because uh, there's a lot of, of, of the writing in the Bible is done in this way, but it, it intentionally blurs the line, like I was saying earlier, between tax collectors, sinners, and disciples. Focusing in really on Jesus' disciples because they were associating themselves with these sinners. Sinners was a derogatory term for those who not only sinned, but lived in perpetual sin. These are guys and gals who were sinning and they didn't care. They continued on in it. You don't think Levi knew it was wrong to do what he was doing? Of course he did, and yet he continued on in his sin, and yet Jesus loved him. These were the Jewish outcasts because they were outside of Judaism. They were were not even in the normal environment that you would be living. These weren't your neighbors. These were people you would not have associated with at all. In the Pharisee system, the leadership, the religious leadership of that day, you separated yourselves from such people. You got as far away from them as you could. There was a a chasm, a grand canyon between you and these sinners. Right? The religious would not associate with them. And yet in Jesus' system, there's no longer a great divide. Right? Between sinners and the righteous. He was making sinners into righteous men and women. That's what Jesus came for. Right? He went to the sick because they needed the doctor. So here we see Jesus spending time with the sinners. We see this this feast that is thrown for Levi's friends. And Jesus and the disciples and the sinners. John Mark is focusing our attention on an important fact. It is the sinner that becomes the disciple. The disciple is but a called sinner. 
You and I are but called sinners, right? Disciples are sinners who have answered the call and said, yes, I believe that, that, that I am in error, that I'm rebellious, that I'm in the wrong, and I need you, Jesus. And then we start down that path. But it's not all smooth sailing. We trip, we fall, we stumble, and yet we know that Jesus is right there to pick us up and continue on with us down that path. Follow me, Jesus said. Now this was divergent from the Pharisees' way of thinking. If you look at this, this is scandal, right? This good teacher Jesus, this teacher Jesus, should not be associating himself with these people. Jesus was saying that anyone could repent, anyone could come to God for forgiveness of sin. He was leveling out the playing field, which was not a popular notion among those who considered themselves the religious elite, the Pharisees of the day. Now, we also want to notice here, this is the first time the word disciple in the book of Mark appears to follow Jesus is to be a disciple. A disciple is, is an active word. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe the truths of who you are and who God is. And then you move forward in that faith. It's to answer the call. Again, the reason we're preaching through this book. Jesus says, come, follow me. Not just place your faith in me and then, and then live as if I'm not a part of your life. God is calling you to so much more. God is calling you through the words that Jesus spoke. Come, follow me. Your salvation was secured by the simple act of faith. Let's not blur those lines. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, it is a done deal. It is not dependent on your actions. And yet Jesus Christ's call on your life is one of action. The Holy Spirit seals you. He holds on to you. Doesn't matter if you've placed your faith in him for five minutes before you die, like the thief on the cross, or whether you've lived since you were four or five years old believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you live to a ripe old age of 132. It, it doesn't matter how long you live, how much you do for the kingdom, it's only that you place faith in Jesus Christ. So let's be crystal clear on that. Your discipleship, right? You're following him. That's what's secured by the action. There's not a level of discipleship you have to reach to get into heaven. What Jesus did on the cross was enough, was more than enough. There was nothing more that needed to be added to that. But we are called to so much more. We're called to so much more. Live in that life. So let's not confuse the two things. Let's not confuse those two things. There may be Christians who are sitting here today. Your eternity is 100% secure. You cannot lose that. And yet you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what I'm praying for today, right now, for you, for me, is that the Holy Spirit will grab our hearts, right? With these words, not what Mark says, not what Kevin and Drew are preaching down there, but what the word says, come follow me. Be an active disciple. Be, be so much more than you are and what, what you think you can be on your own to become a part of what Jesus calls the way. 
We have to choose to become disciples. The right result of grace is works. You're not saved by the works. You're saved by grace. But the right result is the works. Answer the call. Come follow me. That's what Levi did. Levi's life was changed. Levi left everything he had been doing and he followed Jesus. Let's see what the religious leaders think of this scandalous setting. Moving on in verse 16. And the scribes uh, of Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and, and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, uh, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Eating with sinners and tax collectors. This, again, was a big no-no, at least for the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, right? You don't want to pollute yourself with their sin, with their uncleanliness. But Jesus is not a normal man. He was not a religious leader of that day. Right? His pervasive holiness pollutes lives in reverse. Jesus knew by, by spending time with them that his holiness would pollute their lives. Are you and I living those kind of lives? Do we have that kind of faith? Are we those kind of disciples that people become more like Jesus by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit because they spend time with us? Or do you find yourself hanging out with your friends from work, which again, I would say is a great idea, but when you do that, do you find yourself becoming more like the world, more like them? Do you find yourself tripping up and falling back into old habits? Or are you there as an example? Jesus spent time with sinners so that they would see him, that they would know him, and that they would desire to be like him. That they would answer the call, come follow me. He came to heal the hearts and to make saints out of sinners. Check out this divide and conquer gossip strategy that the scribes had, right? The, the Pharisees. They don't talk directly to Jesus in this situation. They go behind his back. They're talking to his disciples, trying to sow these uh, you know, seeds of disunity. What is this guy doing that you're following, right? What is this guy doing? And, and, and they're trying to cause the disciples to question who is this guy? But this accusation from the Pharisees, from the religious leaders, doesn't throw Jesus for a loop. His actions are purposeful. So he answers their query with a, sing, a singing rebuke. He, he, he has no problem with this. I don't know if Jesus was in earshot and heard it or if he perceived it and just knew. But look what he says there. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners, right? Jesus speaking to these so-called righteous men says, I am calling those who are sinners to become righteous people. Those who are sick to be made well. Jesus and his gospel is for those who are broken and hurting. 
As we read this next section, uh, pretend there's no break in your Bible because I believe it's in the same setting, or at least it's, it's plainly, in the, it's on the same topic. So let's just continue on here, right? John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast, right? So again, they're trying to trip Jesus up. Uh, now, there's a couple different ways we could take this, uh, this, this section, these verses. One is this potentially could have been happening during the feast at Levi's house. The Pharisees were there or at least outside where they saw what was going on. John's followers were following Jesus and his disciples. And then you had all the sinners, right? So the questions here, the controversy, it could have all been happening at the same time. Or this could have been at a later time, during a fast that both the the Pharisees and John's disciples, the followers of John uh, and, and his people, John the Baptist, and, and, and they may have both been fasting at the same time, and yet Jesus' disciples were not. We don't know for sure, but whichever way you treat it, this is Mark continuing on on the same topic as before. Jesus' movement was being compared to other movements. This wasn't the first time that somebody came onto the scene and started teaching people about God or about what their thoughts on God were. But there really was no comparison because here, Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. His movement, if you could even call it that, was the way. This was the truth. We know that. We see that. All of the, 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 the stuff in the Old Testament that was put out there that Jesus fulfilled. His life through the Gospels and then all the letters that are in the, Old Te- or in the New Testament all point to Jesus as being the Son of God. The Pharisees, they'd been around for about 200 years at the time when this was happening. Uh, They believed in a strict return to the adherence of the law or the Torah, uh, which in uh, in and of itself, there are some good things. We look in the Old Testament, and and a lot of those those things that are commanded, those are good things to still live by. They just don't save you. And we have to look at it in the right perspective. The Pharisees would say, no, 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 you have to do all of these things to make your relationship right with God. So there was all this tradition, uh, and they, 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 they would not only take what was in there, but then they started adding things to it. Well, if this is good, if this is what the, the Torah says, maybe we should add this, maybe we should add that. And that's the danger of taking your eyes off of God. So the, even the, the religious leaders of that day, they wanted to supplement what the Torah said. They had lost the spirit of God's law. Its effect was a, a confining and even crushing burden on any human that heard this. That, that the, the, what they were asking was so much more than any man or woman could do. Now, John's disciples were also fasting. We know that. Uh, but they were on Jesus' side. They were listening to Jesus. They were following Jesus. We don't know if they were fasting for a religious uh, time period or because John had been arrested or some other reason. We don't know. Mark doesn't tell us all those things. But the question here, it's essentially an accusation. Listen, Jesus, if you really want your little movement to be taken seriously, you and your boys better get in gear. You got to be more pious. You got to do the things that people can see, 
right? Fasting is in right now. It's a good thing to do, right? So get on board, right? But more than anything, the question betrays the ignorance of the questioner. Look at the, how, how this goes on. Jesus, right, said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. Jesus turns the somber occasion of fasting into a, a discussion about a, a wedding celebration. No, no, Jesus had no problem with fasting. I have no problem with fasting. It's an opportunity to focus in that hunger you're thinking about, and I'm going to think about this particular area, whether it's an area of growth, whether it's an area of prayer, to, to, to take a meal or two off or a day, to focus in on that specific thing. So Jesus is an anti-fasting but this was a challenge, uh, really, that he knew to his authority. It was simply ungrounded, but it was asked anyway. Here's the thinking he needed to straighten out. The biggest reason for the Jew to fast was to pray that God would usher in the kingdom. Okay? There were other reasons, but this was the most important. What these people didn't understand is that Jesus was ushering in God's kingdom. So he's talking about the bridegroom, he's talking about a wedding, but he knows that the kingdom is what is important, and he came to bring that in. Jesus is the bridegroom in this illustration. He has come to his wedding and, and, and is celebrating the coming of this great day, a day that had been planned and anticipated for so long. So the guests, a.k.a. the disciples, are celebrating with the groom. When he goes to the cross to bear the sins of the world, he will see the, the, the ushering in of all the prophecies. That will be the somber occasion. Right now, he's talking about a wedding. The bridegroom is here. This is a joyous occasion. But Jesus alludes to the cross. He doesn't leave that out. He knows that it's important. And he says, and, and they will fast in that day. That's talking about after Jesus dies. And, and what would fasting be intended to do for these disciples, for their minds? To pray that God would usher in the kingdom. That is why the disciples would be praying or doing that at that point, right? Fasting in anticipation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and ultimately the second coming. So do you see how this all fits together? Jesus here again being the master teacher takes the challenge and says, why would they fast when the bridegroom is with them? There will be a time for the fasting. It's just not now. And to put an ex exclamation point at the end of, of the sentence, he uses two more word pictures that we're going to look at today. Picking up in verse 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. 
If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. So we have two analogies here. Old and new cloth, old and new wine skins. Do we have some seamstresses, seamsters out there? This week as we were talking, Kevin has started picking up some sewing and he's done a few things. So we were talking with, with him about this. And imagine you have your favorite pair of old jeans, right? And you get a tear in them, you get a hole in them. Okay? They've been worn. They've been washed multiple times. They have shrunk, right? When you wash and wear things multiple times, you get that. It shrinks down. It becomes the size that it will be after being washed a few times. Now, imagine what would happen uh, if, if you had a tear in that special gene and you decide to patch them. I know most of us don't patch things. We throw them out. We go get a new pair. But... Right? We love this pair of jeans. And so we take a spanking new, unshrunk patch of denim, and, and we're going to sew this thing in, right? This is not going to go well. It's going to be disastrous. Because when it shrinks, when it shrinks, the patch shrinks, it's going to tear the jeans again. It's going to make it worse. And now you'll have ruined your jeans. I don't know if anybody out here does their own brewing, right, of any sort of beverages here. Uh... But whether it's beer or wine, back then you would put your brand new wine, which was as of yet unfermented, into wineskins. That's where it would ferment. New wineskins are flexible. They're stretchy. Like a new rubber band, okay? I mean, that's what we were talking about this, this week is the, uh, the idea of like an old rubber band. You find it in the drawer, you go to snap it back and shoot your son who's across the kitchen and it snapped in your hands because it's like dried out right but a new rubber band you open up that bag the, the smell and then you grab it and he's looking at the sink and boom you just hit him in the back of the head right because that you could fly well anyways the wineskins were kind of like that right they're like a new rubber band right and the reason that you need this is for the fermentation because it gives off co2 that isn't a problem for new, stretchy wineskins. But imagine if you put that new wine into an old wineskin, one that's been stretched and now is dried out. Like that old rubber band in the junk drawer, right? The moment that you stretch it, the moment that that wine starts fermenting, snap, right? And then the wine is gone and the wineskin is torn. You're going to waste all of that wine. You're going to waste the old wineskin. So you, you may be thinking right now, okay, Jesus, what's the point? The point is that Jesus' agenda and his practices are brand new. They are life. He is bringing us life. We are dead people who are given life when we place our faith in his sacrifice and in his resurrection and in in him being the one mediator that we need to God the Father. He is not calling us to continue on as a dead man or a dead woman. He is bringing us life. Now the practices in the agenda of the Pharisees were old. There was no life in those. They were there to just to prove that you couldn't do it on your own, that you needed them. Not that you needed God, but that you needed them. Jesus wasn't simply adding something to the old religious piety. He was 
introducing something completely brand new. This was mind-blowing. The religious system of the day was being challenged. There can be no reconciliation between what Jesus was doing and what the Jewish leadership was doing. They could not work hand in hand. In fact, these two parables suggest that any attempt to blend the traditions would be counterproductive and and actually would be disastrous. We need to be careful of anyone that wants to take anything, whether it's from the old views of Judaism and, 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 and maybe Christianity that aren't what true Christianity is about, right? And, and blending those things together. We need to be wary of rule following and, and legalism. And, and some of us may have grown up in churches that were like that. These are all the things you need to do. And again, let me be clear, they're all probably great things to try to do, to live your life in that way, but that has nothing to do with your salvation, everything to do with your discipleship. So we need to be aware of of rule following and legalism as, as the mark of whether you're a follower of Christ or not. Because any attempt to earn salvation through works will prove itself disastrous. Jesus' grace that was given to you and I from that cross as he hung there dying does not need to, cannot be added to. We can't say it's the cross plus anything. Paul warns of this type of of thinking. Uh, He says it's equivalent to taking a burden back on yourself. Right? Right? It was removed by the cross, but you're saying, no, the cross is not enough. I want to put this back on my shoulders. I can do it on my own. Why would I want to do that? Why would you want to do that? Why do we want to return to the slavery of the law? We have been called to join the wedding feast of Jesus. We have much to celebrate. He has beaten sin and death. He has conquered it. He has secured a guaranteed future for you and I. So now answer the call. Follow him. This is a call going out to you today, especially if you've placed your faith in him and yet you're not following him. Follow him out with the old, in with the new. And that new we will continue to see in Mark as we continue to move through that.